as we have walked through Joshua, one of the things that we re- come to realize is that the Israelites have made quite a commotion. They have stirred up the nations that are around them, and they have proceeded to cause a great consternation amongst the Canaanites and all those that are in the land that God has given the Israelites. We have read over the last several weeks, seven or eight weeks, something like that, about how Joshua, in the absence of Moses, has led his people by God's providence across the Jordan to take hold of this new land, and they are taking it by sword. And we have said that that is an interesting comparison, and by God's providence in our own lives, how we are walking through on Sunday mornings, how Israel has is taking the promised land by sword, but on Wednesday nights we are walking through Acts, how God, by His providence, is leading the disciples to spread God's glory through the gospel. Now, this is not the tale of two gods. This is not the tale of two purposes. This is the tale of two moments in history. That's what we're talking about here. And what's interesting is that as God leads His people vicariously through Joshua, striking fear into the hearts of the nations that surround them. Likewise, the gospel of Jesus Christ will strike fear in those who are separated from Christ and who do not desire to be with Christ. And the reason is, is they're not fearing for their physical lives, but they are fearing the idea that they would have to give their life, the life that they know. They would have to die to themselves in order to come to salvation in Christ, and that strikes fear in the hearts of unbelievers. When we come to Christ... It is not a mere, and, and I, I, I want everybody to be really clear on this. This is, a, this is a misunderstanding of the Christian faith oftentimes. Too many individuals in the world, and even in the church, believe that they are coming to faith in Christ, and it is by a choice, like they are choosing between Wheat bread and white bread at the, at the store. I'm choosing wheat bread over white bread because it's better for my health. It's just better for my health. I will do better by eating whole grain bread over refined grains. And so therefore I'm going to choose whole grain bread. So it's just better for my health. Likewise, individuals will say, well, I'm going to choose Jesus because I just think it's better for my health. That is not the Christian faith. When we come to Christ, it is not just a simple light switch that's flipping. It is not a simple choice 
like at the supermarket. When we come to Christ, we are dying to ourselves. And in Joshua, what we find is that the Israelites who are faithful to the Lord have died to themselves, died to their own fame, their own prosperity, their own goals and aspirations, anything that separates them from Yahweh, they are dying to that and living for God. And that's what we must do. If you simply think that you can choose Jesus amongst many other choices and that Jesus is just one of a plethora of choices that you can make, then you are wrong-headed about the Christian faith. When we come to Christ, we are dying to ourselves and rising to new life in Jesus Christ. We're going to talk more about that here in a little bit. Especially as we talk about this miracle that has become so commonplace that sometimes we find it just normal. This idea that God stopped the sun in its place, if you will, or as we now know it, stopped the earth from spinning for a day to allow the sun to continue to shine. And what I want to impress on you is that the miracle that God demonstrates in Joshua is no greater than, in fact, I will even say this, it is not greater than, it is less than, as unbelievable as that is, it does not compare to when God reaches into the heart of sinful man and changes him from death to life. Anyone in here who is a Christian has experienced a greater miracle than the sun ceasing, not ceasing to shine on that day of battle. This morning's message is entitled, Even the Sun Obeys Him. And the subtitle, I don't do subtitles often, but I did this morning, is how prayer can change the world. And I have six points that we're going to walk through, verses 12 through 15 of Joshua chapter 10. And we're going to look at this story. Let's pray real quick before we dive in here. Father, we thank you and we love you and we give you all the praise and glory this morning as we come before you as humble participants in this worship service, Lord. Father, I pray that you would lead our hearts and our minds, lead our emotions, our intuitions to gaze upon your word and to understand it, to love it, to let it guide us. We give you all the glory, Lord. Be with me this morning as I preach this word. And I pray that I would be faithful in preaching it, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Leading up to this passage, which we're not reading, but you can go back and read it, what you're going to find is that the kings of the, uh, in the land of Canaan are very nervous now. They have seen God at work. And mind you, they have seen God at work. 
as God has given over the cities of Ai and the city of Jericho into the hands of the Israelites. And if that wasn't enough, seeing the destruction and the dismantling of these great cities, they saw the Gibeonites. They saw those individuals, the city, the great city of Gibeon, surrender to Israel so that they would not fall into the same fall in the same way that those previous cities did. And we read about that last week. I'm going to read passage, uh, verses 1 through 5 real quick. This is not our sermon, but I'm going to read it just so that you'll have a little bit of background. It says, As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jermoth, to Jephthah, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me and let us strike Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lashish, and the king of Eglon gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped, encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And so they said, what we can't do individually, we're going to do as a group. We're going to go up and we are going to crush this city and we are going to take our land back. We're going to take our power back. We cannot fear Israel anymore. We've got to lay waste to them. Or they will lay waste to us. And the Gibeonites go to Joshua and they said, Remember the treaty that you made with us. That you would protect us from all those that we are your servants and that you will keep us safe. That we are one of you now. And Joshua said, We will. And so Joshua... And all of Israel's armies went up against the five kings. Which brings us to verse 12. And it says, At that time Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon, in the valley of Ajalon, and the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of the heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. And there has been no day like it before or since, when the Lord heeded the voice of man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Even the son obeys him. Now, like we often see in children's books, we often make the biggest part of the story the main point. Okay? For instance, all of us know the story of David and Goliath. And we read that story and oftentimes we get confused by two things. Number one, we think, number one, that we are David in that story. 
and not Goliath, but the truth is, more often than not, we are Goliath, and it's David striking us down. But number two, oftentimes we think that the main point of that story is that David was able to crush that, that, that giant, right? Folks, that's not the main point of that story. The main point of the story is the faith of young King David, that the Lord gave him this faith to come against King David did not generate that faith on his own. He did not go into his room and say, he didn't pump himself up, all right? He didn't watch a bunch of YouTube videos getting himself pumped up, all right? He didn't take some creatine and protein to pump himself. No, the Lord gave him the faith to come up against that giant. The main point of this story today is not that the sun stood still. In fact, there is some discussion about what that actually even means. Some believe that it wasn't that the sun stood still in the sky and we had light for 24 hours that day, like we see in Alaska sometimes. They actually believe that the sun stopped shining for 24 straight hours. That when it says it stood still, it means that it stopped working for 24 hours so that they could come and fight under the cloud of night. Now, I personally believe, after reading this many times, even up until about 1 in the morning last night, I, I personally believe that what the text is saying is that the sun continued to shine throughout the 24-hour period. Let me just say a few things before I dive into these six points. This passage is one of the most common passage, passages that humanists, atheists, agnostics, skeptics, and scientists will say that this right here refutes the truthfulness of God's Word. And here's why. It says, Son, stand still at Gibeon. That line right there will put the whole Bible into question when it comes to skeptics. Why is that? Because the sun, in relationship to the earth, does not move. Yet in this passage, the Bible is assuming that it is moving, that it's the sun that's moving and not the earth. Yet we know that Copernicus and Galilea, to the great disdain of the church at that time, came up with not the, 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 uh, the earth-centric for, um, uh, concept of the universe, but it was a sun-centered uh, concept of the universe, that everything rotated around the sun. It's called heliocentric. And so they say, see, the Bible can't be true because they got that wrong. The sun doesn't move. The earth does. Now, by the way, folks, just in case you're curious, you can look this up. The sun does move, all right, in our, in our galaxy. It's just not moving around the earth. But what we want to say here is this. If anybody ever brings that up to you, because it is quite common on a list of things, also the fact that God can't be a loving God when there are bad things that happen to good people, they'll mention this. And here's the thing that you have to understand. They were writing based upon what they saw. 
This was not intended to be a scientific book. And it's just the way that when you all say, or when I say, what time does the sun rise in the morning? Nobody comes up to you and says, the sun doesn't rise and it doesn't set. It's just that the earth spins in a matter of, in, in a matter of, in a way that makes it look like that. Nobody's holding your feet to the fire about that. Same way with the authors, folks. So if somebody just makes that claim to you, just roll your eyes at them and keep on moving, okay? All right? I just want to make that, say that because that's a really common place. But the main point of this story is not that the sun stops or that the earth stops or that, or that the, we have 24 hours of light. The main point of this passage is is that prayer changes the world. It changes things around us. And I want to walk through that this morning. First is this, the first point. During times of trouble, prayer is a first response. It is a first response. Joshua knew that these kings were going to come up against him. Joshua knew that by their own strength, they would not be able to defeat these five kings. Why did he know that? Because the smaller city of Ai was able to put them on the run when they did not heed the Lord's commands. They knew they were going to get crushed. So in times of trouble, prayer, it is not a last response. It's not just sort of something that we do. It is a first response. Now, why don't I say it is the first response? I, I'm trying to be overly careful here, okay? Folks, if somebody's in dire danger, call 911, okay? Don't sit down and pray for 10 minutes. Okay, and then call nine one one. All right, let's let's not. God has given us the blessing of that of of first responders. So let's do that. But folks, right after that, be praying. In times of trouble, we pray. We do not come against challenges in our lives under our own power, and in our own strength. Joshua is facing five cities getting ready to come to him, come against him, and what does he do? He goes to the Lord, and he prays. Now, here's something I just want to, and this brings me to the second, the, the second point, is that praying to our Almighty God is both necessary and remarkable. I want you to think of this, okay? I have, you, and I have mentioned this to you before. It has been told to us at times that an almighty God does not or could not care about our piddly problems. We are little bitty sheep in comparison to who He is, right? But the truth is this is that the almighty God of the universe, the one who created everything, all things, 
not only asks that we would come to Him, He demands it. I say it's necessary because it is. We do not go through this life, especially as Christians, on our own. We go before a holy God and we ask Him. We beseech Him. We seek His face in everything that we do. So it is necessary. But it's also remarkable. I want you to think about this. How many kings or queens throughout history would just allow, would just allow little old me or little old you to go before them and ask them about or, and, or seek their counsel for our piddly troubles? Think of it in our own situation, our own context. If you've got an issue in your life, why don't you drive up to D.C. and go knock on the front door of the White House? See if Joe Biden answers. He ain't answering, folks. And by the way, you ain't getting to the front door of the White House. You know, back in the day, you could. Back in the day, around uh, the time, I believe it was the time of Abraham Lincoln, you could go up to the front door of the White House, knock on the door, and go in. You could go in. It was the people's house. Now, when you go to D.C., you can't get closer than about 200 yards. And just so you know, there are trained snipers on every one of you. And some of you look a little odd, and so there's like more guns on you. Okay? I'm just saying. You can't go to the front door and, and ask the, tell the president your problems. But the God of the universe, in the most remarkable of, a way, remarkable of ways, has asked us to come before Him with every trial, with every challenge, with every joy, with every single thing, come before Him. And He is not telling you to wait in line. He says, come to me, ye who are, who are weary, ye who are heavy laden, come to me. And what does He say? I will give you rest. That is remarkable. And we take it for granted. And I'm the first one. We have this kind of thing at night that around 9 o'clock, Jackson goes and gets his teeth brushed, and then I walk him up to upstairs to put him to bed. All right? And it doesn't, it doesn't, that moment cannot cannot, uh, go forward until I pray. He will not fall asleep until I pray. Because I've tried it. I've tried putting him in bed, and I just kind of walk out and just kind of go down. Either I have forgotten or something like that, and I'll get halfway down the stairs or all the way down the stairs. It's a horrible thing having to walk back up the stairs. And all of a sudden, I hear Jackson from upstairs saying, You didn't pray! And then the guilt of the Holy Spirit comes on, and I have to trek back upstairs, and I pray. But I take those prayers for granted sometimes. And I can tell you that I take them for granted for this one very thing. In fact, it happened last night. I was tired. It was time to go to bed. So I covered him up, and I said a prayer. And when I got done, I said, Amen. Jackson said, Is that it? 
And I was like, yeah, I'm tired. And then as it is, I got to my office and was started pulling together the final parts of the sermon talking about prayer. And I was like, my gosh, we take prayer for granted. Why doesn't God just smite me for that? I mean, I'm so lackadaisical about my prayers. And how often are my prayers the same? Lord, please give us sweet dreams. Lord, help us to wake up in the morning for church. Help us to not be tired. Lord, help us to, you know, not toss and turn. Don't let the bed bugs bite, you know. Amen. I'm just like reciting, and I can't be alone here. I can't, I mean, I know some of you are like, oh my gosh, he's a pastor, and I can't believe he's doing that. All right? I know I can't be alone here in this. I know there have got to be other people either in here or listening to this that even though you won't admit it, you're like, I do the same thing. I do the same thing. My prayers are rote. My prayers are, it's like, it's like I don't even know what I'm saying. It's like I'm just talking to myself. And it's because sometimes we take for granted. I don't want to say that we don't believe prayer works. I do believe that we believe prayer works. I, I'm not saying that we doubt God's existence and so we don't, we just kind of say prayers. I don't believe that at all. I believe that we do believe that God exists, that He is a remarkable God. But I think sometimes we get into a place where we believe that prayer is just some sort of mundane artifact of the Christian life. But what we got to set our heads on straight about is this, is that the God of the universe is listening. He's listening to us. He's listening and He cares. Listen to this. Sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. God is listening, which brings me to my third point. Our prayers, every one of them, are supernatural and should seem illogical to the world around us. For, for Joshua to pray... This prayer, which is actually part of a poem, okay? It's an extra big biblical poem, all right? But it is a prayer that Joshua is lifting up for him to pray that the sun would stop in the sky, producing light for 24 hours. How ridiculous, how remarkable is that prayer? Such a big prayer. How is it that God would listen to that and answer that prayer? And here's why. Because as remarkable and as gigantic as that request is, our God is more remarkable still. This is what's fascinating with it. I want you to listen to this real quick, okay? The circumference of the sun is 2.7 million miles. That's around the sun, 2.7 million miles. The core temperature of the sun is 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. It's like Florida. The surface temperature of the sun is 10 million degrees Fahrenheit. It is so hot that diamonds boil on the surface of the sun. Folks, that is remarkable. I can't even fathom that. Like I say 27 million, I had to do the math multiple times to see if I carried the one, okay? 
I mean, it was crazy. I don't even understand what that is. I, have, I don't even understand what that is, honestly. And so when Joshua says, Lord, stop the sun in its place, when we realize how amazing and remarkable the sun is, you're thinking, how can that be? That's impossible. That's impossible for that to happen. And that's what the world sees. They say it's illogical. It's impossible. It can't happen. Folks, it's not impossible for the one who made it. It's not impossible for the one who created it. And folks, he didn't create it by taking all these these unbelievable calculations and all these things that we don't understand and piecing these all, all these things together. He made it by saying, let there be light. Let me put the sun in the sky bringing out the day and the, and the moon in the sky bringing light to the night. It was like that. And if our holy God can do that, then surely... He can stop the earth from spinning on its axis for just a few hours more, giving light to the armies of Israel, allowing them to crush these five armies. Our prayers, every one of them, they are supernatural. When you go to a holy God in prayer, that is not something earthly or mundane. It is not meant to be logical. It is supernatural. It is, super, it is something other than our everyday existence. When you entertain a holy God with your prayers, you are going outside the bounds of what humans are capable of doing and going before the throne of a holy God who can stop the earth on its axis who can cast a mountain into the sea. Which brings me to my fourth point. It's that God's power doesn't stop with our imagination. God's power does not stop with our imagination. Who would have even thought to ask God can you just stop the sun where it is, giving us light? And you're thinking, somebody's got a huge imagination. Your imagination cannot compare to the power of God. Whatever you think God can, can do, He can do much greater than that. I love, and some of you all figured this out on Wednesday night because I think it was Melvin made a mistake according to Toya, made the mistake of asking me a question about physics. And I love talking about that. I won't do that to you this morning unless you want to stay a little after. Um, And we were talking about different theories and stuff like that. And it just fascinates me. And the reason it fascinates me, here's why I get all excited about it. It's because it shows all these complex intricacies of our planet and of our universe And all these theories and things like that. And I'm like, my gosh. How does all of this, how can all of this piece together and to where we experience what we experience? And as complex and impossible to completely understand as it is, 
God snaps his fingers and that's what comes into existence. God did not take a billion years before he said, let there be light, to figure out the theory of relativity. Well, i got to figure that out because I'm not exactly sure how time and space are going to be interacting here to make this. He didn't have to do that. Why not? Because he's God. Scientists get all excited when all of a sudden one of, one of Einstein's theories, like Einstein proposes it in the 30s, in the 20s and 30s, and all of a sudden in 2022, we're like, oh my gosh, Einstein was right. And I'm sitting there thinking, God's not surprised. It's not a surprise because when God puts things together, He puts things together and it makes sense. God's power does not stop where our imagination stops. In fact, I would even say this. God's power transcends where our imagination begins and ends. It transcends that. Why does that matter for us? I mean, we're talking about sun. Most of us are not going to go outside and say, could you, could you, Lord, could you just stop the sun for just a little? Crystal might, all right? Because, you know, the, the days are getting shorter and you're like, I want more sun, right? But most of us are not going to do that. So why does this matter? It matters because of this. We need to stop, in our prayers, we need to stop thinking so small. And we need to be thinking big. We need not to be afraid of going before the Lord and asking for big things. Big, big things. And I'm going to give you an example of that here in a minute. Which brings me to my fifth point. God answers prayer, but those prayers, those answers are not bound by our requests. It goes in here, it says, Is, it, is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of the heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of man for the Lord fought for Israel. Now, some will read that and say that we can manipulate God. That's not what that verse is saying. What that's saying is that God has asked us to pray and God promises to answer prayers. But realizing that even our prayers are a part of His providence. Even our prayers are a part of His providence. Even our disobedience is a part of His providence. It's not a part of His will, but it's part of His providence. So when Joshua asked for the sun to stop in the sky, God was not up there thinking to Himself, well, I was going to do this a different way. But I've got to answer Joshua's prayer because he asked it. And I'm kind of, they, they've got me cornered. They've got me cornered. I, I need to answer this prayer. That's not what's happening. God stopping the sun in the sky was always his plan. But it was also part of his plan that Joshua would pray for that. 
God answers prayers. And if God answers prayers, why don't we pray? Here's why I don't believe we pray. Number one, God does not always answer prayers the way we want them answered. And that's just true. Because we ask God for things that we think we need, but we really don't. And so when we ask for things that we think that we need, God will answer that prayer oftentimes with what He knows we need. And the other is that God doesn't answer in a timely way. That we want God to answer like this. But there are t- there's a time frame. It is God's timing, not ours. So God does answer prayer, but it is not bound by our intentions or our will or our desires. God's prayer, God answers prayer according to his own time and his own providence. But that shouldn't prevent us from praying. That should should force us to want to even pray more because God's will will always supersede and will be better than our own. And finally, God fights for His people. It says here, There has been no day like it before or since when God heeded the voice of man, for the Lord fought for Israel. The Lord is fighting for us. When Paul, in the book of Romans, speaks of how God is for us and He is not against us, that is no little thing. That is a huge thing. The same God that can stop the sun in the sky is for you. He's for you. He's not against you. He's cheering for you. He's rooting. You know, we always think, you know, someone is our biggest fan, right? Listen to me. God, I'm not saying God is our fan. But I am telling you this, God is rooting for your success, not worldly success, but godly, Christ-exalting success. He is rooting for that. Because when you succeed, He receives the glory. He is fighting for you. The main point of this story is not that God stopped the sun in the middle of the sky. It's that an obedient follower of God, Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, that he was obedient and faithful. And he came before a holy God and said, help us. And he wasn't afraid of asking big things. And God had the power to answer him. And so I want to finish by saying this. And it kind of ties back to the beginning of what I said. 
the world thinks that the sun stopping in the middle of the sky or that the Jordan River parting or the Red Sea parting, that all of those things are just illogical, they're supernatural, they are impossible, they're little, they're, 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 there's no way that that could be true. And I do grant you that when I read those things, it amazes me. It amazes me at what God can do. It amazes me. But a bigger miracle still is when God saves sinners. That is much bigger than the sun stopping in the, in the sky. And folks, I'm just going to tell you, is that God saving sinners makes stopping the sun in the sky look like a party favor, a party trick. That's what that looks like. The most important, the most amazing, the most critical miracle that has ever happened from the foundations of the earth until now was not the parting of the Red Sea. It was not parting the Jordan. It was not stopping the sun. It was not, it was not even creating everything that we see from nothing. Ex nihilo is what that's called. That was not even the most amazing miracle. The most amazing and remarkable and most important miracle that has ever occurred was when God, via the Holy Spirit, raised Christ from the dead. And every time one of us comes to faith in Christ, in a sense, He is raising us from the dead. I, I, I just hope, my hope is this. It's like, what am I going to get out of this sermon, right? Because we're consumers, right? We always got to get something out of something, right? Well, here's what I want you to get out of this. Number one, don't be afraid to pray and to pray big. That's number one. Pray and pray big. And then just wait. Just wait. That's number one. And then number two is this. The biggest, most remarkable prayer that you could pray is that God would save sinners. When I was praying for my sons that God would save them, that was a much more remarkable prayer than Joshua praying that the sun would stop in the sky. The angels did not rejoice when the sun stopped in the sky. The angels did not rejoice when the Red Sea parted. The angels did not rejoice when the Jordan parted. But when my sons came to Christ, the angels rejoiced. It was a cause for heavenly celebration because someone is now a new son or daughter. Pray and pray big. And there is no bigger prayer than praying that someone would come to Christ. 
And here's what I will tell you, is that if you have a loved one who is not saved, that at this moment, at this moment, if God required of them their soul and they would be going to hell right now because they are not saved, here's what I would ask you to do. Pray, 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 and then go have lunch, and then pray some more for that individual that God would save them from their sin. And then when God saves them from their sin, two things. Number one, rejoice in that miracle that God has just caused. And number two, find someone else to pray for. Make it your mission to pray. And I will tell you this, is that God answers prayers. It happens. And so I'm going to end this message right now with just a little uh, sort of a testimony, brief, about how God answers prayers, but how God doesn't answer prayers the way we design them to. And I, this is going to sound a little manipulative, and I'm, I apologize. I'm not intending for that. I was thinking last night, I was like, I need to be able to share a story, just a personal experience of how God answers prayers. And... Um, and, I was, and this one just keeps coming back to mind. And you're going to know what I mean by manipulative when I say this. But I promise you that's not the end. When I was in college, I, um, my junior and senior year, I was quite busy. I had started working in the church. I had started, the, I had started as a youth pastor my junior year in college. I was uh, getting ready to turn 21. And... Um, that was a big deal for me. And a lot of things in my life were changing my junior year in college. There was a lot of, honestly, there was a lot of uh, tumult. There was a lot, it was tumultuous that year. I'm not saying that it was a bad year. I'm not saying it was just, it, it was just there was a lot of stuff happening uh, in my personal life, in my school life. I was having to make a decision if I was going to continue to play, uh, play baseball. That was a big thing for me. Um, I was I was trying to decide, you know, is ministry going to be my life or am I going to, I mean, there were just so many things happening. And as as it goes, also during that time in life, um, you're also starting to think about the future. And you're starting to think, you know, what what does God have in store? And most of the guys in my, and, and so for the guys, you know, at that age, you know, especially for, for Christian guys, one of the most important things was, well, well, who am I going to shack up with for the rest of my life, right? You know, that's a real romantic way of saying it, isn't it? Um, but, I mean, in all seriousness, like, who am I going to be with for the rest of my life? And, and that was something that was of a concern for many guys. Now, here's the thing. Whether they tell you or not, every guy is concerned about that. And every one of them, every one of them, uh, in the back of their mind, are, are thinking that life is going to turn out to be a rom-com. Okay, let's just say it. Okay, it's true. That's just the way it is. And so... I was going through that period in my life. And so I would date here, and I would date here, and I would go out with couples and all this kind of stuff and do all these sorts of things. And, you know, nothing, nothing big, you know, and then I would focus on the church. And this went on for about a year. And then in, 20, in 2002, 2002, in the spring, we were getting very active in ministry. Things were growing and stuff like that. And finally, 
I don't know what, what had happened. I had just come back from a trip from Washington, D.C., a school trip. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to worry about that part of my life anymore. I'm not going to worry about dating anymore. I'm not going to worry about what's going to happen in the future. It's going to happen. What's going to happen is going to happen. And I'm not going to worry about that. And I said, basically, I was just saying, I'm going to let go and let God. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, I don't like that phrase. <laughs> but in this case, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> All right? And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray that God's going to work this out. And so I prayed, and I asked the Lord for what I thought I wanted, for what I thought I needed in my life. And that was in February of 2002. On March 20th of 2002, I got a phone call out of the blue from somebody I really didn't know. It was the same night that Indiana beat Duke in the NCAA tournament. I like to put things in perspective, folks. And I got a phone call asking if I'd like to go out on a double date. And I asked some questions about the intended party that I was going to be going out on the date with. Again, real romantic, right? He answered those questions thoroughly, and I said, okay, we'll do it. And we went on that date. And then in June, I asked that young lady to marry me. And in January, we got married of 2003, so less than a year later. Now, why do I tell you that story? It's this, is that I prayed that God would put this individual in my life that would meet my desires and meet my needs. And I was being genuine about that. This is what I thought I would need. And some of you all in here know exactly what I'm talking about when I say this. And I'm here to tell you that God did not answer that prayer. He did not answer that prayer. Not in the way that I asked. Because I didn't know what I needed. Because at that time, I didn't understand what asking big things was. I was asking for little things. I wasn't asking for big things. And so when I say that God didn't answer my prayer, that's not exactly true. Here's what he did. He took my little prayer. He just blew it out of the water. Now you know what I mean by that could sound real manipulative right now, right? And I don't mean that to do that. We did not get in a fight last night that was call, that's putting me in, that I'm trying to get back in the good graces, okay? <laughs> it's just honest to goodness, folks, that's the, in my life, in my 43 years of praying to God to answer prayers, that is the most obvious and substantial answer to a prayer where God took 
what I thought I wanted and needed and just said, no. Here's what you're going to have. And I can honestly say that if he had answered my prayers exactly how I had wanted, who knows what would have happened. I'd probably be miserable. I, you know, who knows. I mean, I was praying for somebody who liked hunting and stuff, and then, but they would always be there, you know, and they'd be shooting my deer and stuff. I'd be miserable. But in all seriousness, I share that with you to say this. Pray big. Pray big. I'm not telling you to put God to the test. Here's what I'm telling you to do. Challenge Him. Challenge Him to exceed your wildest dreams. Challenging to exceed your wildest dreams. Because God cares. And He loves us. And He is rooting for us. God didn't have to stop that sun in the sky. He could have done something else. Less magnificent. Less remarkable. I mean, in the story before, he dropped hailstones from the sky to crush these armies. You know, they go out with the swords, right? But what really destroyed the armies? These massive hailstones that were coming down just landing on people. And I'm like, goodness. I was like, show off a little, won't you, God? Right? And that's the funny thing. When we pray... And we see God answering our prayers. One of the most remarkable things, sometimes when God answers a prayer for me, like in the case of me and Crystal, one of the things that just comes to mind right now is like, you were showing off, weren't you? You were showing off. The Lord was showing off because I asked this little bitty thing and then he's just like, well, watch what I can do, right? Just pray that God would show off in your life. You know what? Because, folks, it's not arrogant for God to do it, right? Let Him do it. Let Him do it. And it is, it will change your life. Come to the Father in humility and don't be afraid to ask big things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. And we ask that you would. Teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to pray. And help us to be amazed at, your, at your, the answers that you give us, Lord. Let us pray according to your word, by your word, in the full knowledge of your word. And help us to have the faith to believe that you will answer. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.